My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. On the eve of tomorrow's Federal Reserve meeting, after seven straight updates for the NASDAQ, well, we have to wonder, what does Jay Powell have in store for us? Are we getting too greedy here? Dow gaining another 139 points. SP climbed 0.37%. NASDAQ advancing 0.34%. Many investors, especially the really rich ones, believe that the Fed must slam the brakes on the economy immediately to stamp out inflation. They want Fed Chief Jay Powell to cut out the bond buying, maybe even start raising rates. That way we could crush the spiral of rising prices. Now, if you own a lot of municipal bonds, a favorite investment in the super rich, then that would be fabulous. These big money guys in my college days, you know, I probably would have called them overlords, believe that Jay Powell is asleep at the wheel. Or worse, they see him trying to engineer a tight labor market, something that's terrific for people who actually work for a living, but it scares the heck out of the business owners. As the inflation used to see it, Powell's a softy, and his policies will only ruin the poor as well as the rich, which is absurd. But these policy debates always escalate to ridiculous places. My view, the whole debate is beside the point. What Powell knows is we've got shortages everywhere, and they can't be fixed by sending the economy into a tailspin. You can't get more wheat or corn or semiconductors or oil and gas, for that matter, by raising interest rates. Instead, he wants to let the situation play out, offering a series of gentle actions before he does anything extreme that might create havoc in the economy, throw a lot of people out of work. Powell wants to give everyone a chance to get a decent job. Isn't that a nice idea? It's kind of like the Constitution. Even if that means wealthy investors could see their municipal bond payouts get eroded by inflation. Not in the Constitution. Is that so wrong? Let's figure this out in the context of what we've learned this earnings season. What we learned in last night's interview with uh, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, who told us basically no chips. You might have seen the craziness in Avis, the rental car company today. It saw its stock. I don't know if you saw it. Stock ended up doubling. Okay, it started here. It's 108% gain. Uh, Kind of a pit stop up here. As the short sellers who've been betting against it capitulated in a blaze of glory. By the way, it's not unlike what we saw earlier this year in AMC and GameStop, but no one was talking about it enough. I, that's why I'm bringing it up right now. It's amazing how wrong some of these bearish hedge funds can be. I'm amazed that anyone would short a stock when they have zero familiarity with the facts. And what are the facts with Avis? Simple. America's out of cars. There just aren't enough of them. And we don't have the chips to ramp up production. So we've got an automobile shortage, and right now the biggest agglomeration of autos that can be found are the rental car companies. Of course, historically, this has been a terrible business, too cutthroat. And there's always been a surfeit of used cars, and automakers dump their excess inventory on these uh, rental car companies all the time. But I repeat, there are no cars now, certainly no surplus cars. So when Avis reported it delivered an extraordinary set of numbers, it, it earned $10.74, 1074 Wall Street was looking only for six fifty-two, and that's how you... Take it this. The panic among the short sellers was so palpable, they immediately set the stock from 174 to 545. That's an ignominious price. That's GameStop at 400. Okay, right there. All right. Certainly reminiscent. While the stock only pulled back, ultimately pulled back to 357, it was a short seller's nightmare. I mean, the thing was down 100. You know, you're up 100%. They're down 100%. Just like GameStop got a boost earlier this year thanks to the shortage of new consoles, Avis is killing it thanks to a shortage of cars. If they could find more vehicles, I'm sure they'd rent them out. But there are none to be found. And that has nothing to do with the Federal Reserve. It has to do with the labor market and the semiconductor shortage. 
Why don't we start with labor? Against all odds and bosses, the rank and file have spoken. We're not coming back to work the way we used to. So deal with it. Millions of Americans have left the cities for the suburbs or the country because they no longer need to commute to the office. And after a year and a half of Zooming to work, their bosses can't make them. They can't. When you leave the city, though, you do need a car to get around. So demand is off the charts, unprecedented. And almost everyone in the industry, everyone except Tesla, was caught looking the wrong way. Second, we simply don't have enough semiconductors to ramp up new car production and alleviate the shortage. Remember, your typical new car might have, say, 150 semiconductors in it. uh, But if an automaker only has 149 of them, they can't make anything. The Federal Reserve cannot produce that last semiconductor. Now, at some point, we could see some demand destruction. Not long ago, the conventional wisdom was that the housing market would keep booming. Remember that? But there was one lonely voice saying things can't last. Ivy Zellman, the best housing analyst in America. Turns out she still got it because after an ever so slight increase in mortgage rates, we got a shocking reversal of housing fortunes. Look at what happened at the know-it-alls at Zillow. (laughs) They're gleefully cackling today. Yeah. These guys got in the housing flipping game. Oh, there's a game, all right. And they realized they were losing money all over the place. So now they have to, they dump 7,000 houses exiting that business entirely. Why? Because they didn't listen to us as we yell at them constantly about, no, no, no. Because they were going down in value. Speculators get shaken out. Of course, this is very different from 2008 when speculators were regular people who could get a mortgage with no documentation, no money down. This time we're dealing with idiotic hedge funds and private equity funds who are renting out their properties with the idea of selling them as houses appreciated in value. We know that trade has run out of steam. Which brings me back to the autos. It's possible at a certain point that cars will become too expensive. When that happens, people will return to mass transit or they'll stop moving from the cities to the country. And you know what? That's fine. That's the free market in action. Similarly, we will see big oil and gas companies cutting back. Right now, they're cutting back their capital expenditures in order to minimize their carbon footprints. But that pushes prices up. But that will not continue forever. J-PAL recognizes it's only a matter of time before the oil and gas producers step up their drilling. Because in the end, these are for-profit enterprises. They're not going to leave money on the table forever. That will also alleviate some of the resin issues because plastics are a byproduct of natural gas. All right, how about corn or wheat? Okay, if the Fed can, can play the role of planner-in-chief, or rainmaker-in-chief, reprising that fantastic role of Burt Lancaster in the 56th Classic, then I'd say go for it. But Jay Powell is not a gentleman farmer. All you can do to stamp out high food prices is to raise interest rates, which will cause people to lose their jobs so they can't eat as well, so the demand for food will fall. If the alternative to that is prices going up a bit, you know what? I'm willing to take the hit. I know the Muni guys won't. The Muni guys. Here's William Jennings Bryan when we need him. I know people continue to bet against this market, hoping that Powell will do something foolish like the wealthy want so badly. I see shorts all over the place, but they're being taken out, uh, kicking and screaming like those in DuPont and Estee Lauder this morning. Two companies we told club members, investment club members, to buy into this morning's weakness when we said it on our morning memo. Uh, or Bed Bath & Body Works. Uh, 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 Bed Bath & Body I'm sorry. Bed Bath & Beyond, which, by the way, looks eerily like another GameStop. That's BBBY. If it gave you some good strategic news after the close, and the shorts are just getting blasted. Hey, you know what? Even the most boneheaded of moves, one that Powell won't make, will not help those short suckers. I mean, short uh, sellers. So the bottom line, if this market goes down tomorrow, thanks to the wrath of the rich who blame Jay Powell for nicking their munis and their mansions, then you need to view that as a buying opportunity and jump on the best themes, especially the semis, because that shortage isn't going away anytime soon. There simply aren't enough chips to be had And there's nothing the Fed can do to change that other than destroying the economy, which is a less than ideal solution for a Fed chief facing reappointment or not by the president of the United States. Let's go to Terry in Virginia. Terry. 
Oh, yeah, Jim. How are you doing today? I am doing well. How about you, Ter? What's up? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Calling today about Chipotle. Um, it's had a kind of a flat run here for a while. It's trading below its 50-day moving average. PE is around 72. Um, after a recent earnings beat, it's kind of languished at this 1800 level, which is about 10% off of its 52-week high. Is this an entry point, is, or should we wait? Well, you know, it's funny because uh, my daughter was up in one in uh, north of Albany. She didn't like it. Uh, then uh, Ben Stoto, research director, was down one down the one uh, uh, right near us downtown Wall Street. He said it's not so good. I mean, maybe there's some execution issues. I myself think that Chipotle is doing quite well, and I remain uh, and Jimmy Cho remains stored that it should be bought. Let's go to Lewis in California, please, Lewis. Hi, Jim. I'm calling about Shopify. Do you think it can continue a 30% plus growth rate for the next five years? Actually, I think there's a lot of room for both Shopify and let me throw in Etsy. I think both these companies have terrific growth paths because they are the backbone of the new economy, which is people living their dreams, small and medium-sized businesses being able to carry out what many people really want, which is something craft-oriented that seems like it's actually made for them. Michael in Texas. Michael. Jim, how you doing? I was just, uh, I, I keep missing the easy 100,000. I missed the, uh, the snowflake from 200 to 300 with 1,000 shares. I missed the 1,000 shares of Coinbase from, you know, 211 to 350, wherever it's at now. And I want to know if I can keep the 1,000 shares of Disney at 169.70 and hold on to that with on the uh, subscriber news and the bad news coming out of China with them shutting down the parks. Is there any chance that I could get that $100,000 bump? Well, let's not look at it like that. I mean, Disney's not that kind of stock. I mean, it's a very, very solid company that is doing a lot of good things. Bob Chapek's trying to get things really rolling. But it's not going to go up like that. If anything, I think it's five down, 15 up. And uh, that's why my chapel trust owns it, because we like that ratio. And we tell club members that it should be owned. And we are buying it as it goes down. And notice I said as, not if it goes down. We think it is going a little bit lower. Uh, can I speak to Sonia in Florida, please? Sonia. Booyah, Jim. Shout Booyah. out to Nova Law School. Go Sharks. Uh, my question is about ticker symbol UPST. Upstart, uh, it's got some bad news lately. Um, ever since that bad news, it's gone up and down, up and down. I bought this stock uh, back in August at 142. Just want to hear your thoughts. Uh, should I what? buy, sell, or hold? What do you think? Saw the CEO, I guess, a couple weeks ago at a dinner. Uh, cannot say enough good things about that fintech company. By the way, some of the fintech companies are just exploding down. And I think that we're going to have to write about them for uh, the for uh, my investment club product because, man, they're getting crushed and some interesting buy points are coming and we're buying them on the way down. If the market is down tomorrow, thanks to those who blame Jay, viewing it, please view it as a buying opportunity to jump on the best themes that I keep talking about. Hey, on Mad Tonight, DuPont, they reported a quarter that sent the stock up over 8% today. I'm piecing apart the report with the CEO of this charitable trust name. Then after falling earlier in today's session, Estee Lauder finished wildly in the green. So could the makeup kingpin add a touch of beauty to your portfolio? I got the company's top best. Then how about some Rick's more. The open-air shopping center REIT reported better than expected quarter. Give me a little dividend boost there. I'm getting a read on the space and what's on the horizon for the company. If you want 4%, you've got my blessing. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. 
or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Look at the stock of DuPont Run. After spending ages, and I guess what you call the penalty box, this specialty chemical maker shot up nearly 9% today in the wake of a solid quarter, coupled with very remarkable acquisition. Full disclosure, we own DuPont for the Travel Trust. I have to admit I was a little worried about this one because the chemical industry has been plagued by these rising raw costs. Then this morning, CEO Ed Breen, the bankable Ed Breen, delivered a good quarter, eh, somewhat soft guidance, but another day might have triggered a sell-off, not this time. What happened after that is amazing because on top of the quarter, DuPont also announced they're buying Rogers Corporation for $5.2 billion. This is a company that makes engineered components. It's a specialized industrial supplier to some terrific end markets. When management came out on the conference call this morning and explained their vision for the deal, DuPont stock caught fire. Ultimately, finishing the day up nearly 9%. Could this be the beginning of an even larger rally? Let's take a closer look with Ed Breen. He's the executive chairman and CEO of DuPont. Find out more about the quarter and this impressive deal. Ed, welcome back to Mid Money. Great. Thanks, Jim. Good to see you. And thanks for having me. All right. So, Ed, if I had to summarize what happened here, you basically overnight went from being a cyclical company with a lot of raw costs and at the whims of the economy to a secular grower, very little worry about raw costs and a faster growth rate. Yeah, so we've been on this journey now for about five years to get to this point. And, Jim, this is the last big move that I feel we have to make. Uh, we want to be compared to the best in breed multi-industrial companies. And when you benchmark us and, and you do a pro forma of the last five years with this new portfolio, we outgrow the best multi-industrial companies on the top line. Our margins are 300 basis points better than the top group at 27%. And more importantly, to the point you just mentioned, we took significant cyclicality out of our earnings going forward and we benchmark in class there also at about 10% peak to trough earnings. So it was a major, major move for us to get to this point. And of course, we added a, a great acquisition today on top of it, which puts us in the real secular growth areas that we like and where DuPont also has a lot of core technology behind it. Well, I know a lot of people are saying, well, listen, they're no longer the chemical DuPont. I think you're not less and less a chemical company, but more and more a high-end growth chemical company. There are some legacy brands that I think you'll be able to sell for far more, Ed, than people were talking about in the console. Is there any way that you could see some big numbers for some big old brands that we all know around the world? Well, by the way, we still have a lot of those great brands. So we have the Tyvek product, which most people know is house wrap, but we use it for metal, medical packaging, by the way. It was one of the key products during the pandemic here because it's used in garments um, in healthcare settings. And uh, so it's a great brand. We love it. We're going to keep it. It's a high margin, nice growing business. And of course, a product we're very, very proud of in DuPont is Kevlar, which protects a lot of frontline, you know, the police, um, uh, firefighters and all that. Um, and it's a great product we're very proud of. Uh, how about Corian, keeping that? Yeah, yeah, we're keeping Corey on. Um, and by the way, that's picking up nice from the lows of the pandemic. Uh, you know, it's used in a lot of commercial construction applications. And of course, those markets are coming very nicely. Yeah, I, I like it because my, it beats my wife by, buying marble. And I think it's more enduring <laughs> than marble. OK, so people said to me today, wait a second, he's selling some auto and then buying auto. And what I keep telling is that you have a different auto exposure, a better, a futuristic auto exposure. So maybe you can explain why they're not the same. 
Yeah. So look, the Rogers portfolio is incredible. Um, they're they're really high in technology, which ties right in with DuPont. And the areas they're actually growing the fastest, it's about a third of their portfolio right now, is they're very big in the EV, the battery space, um, in hybrid and electric vehicles, and as we move into autonomous vehicles. And that market, Jim, is growing 20 to 30 percent a year. Uh, so, And they have a lot of great wins coming in that space. And then they're very uh, big and have a great presence in advanced driver assist systems which go into all vehicles, especially into all of the EV vehicles going forward. And that market's growing about 15%. So we're moving into much higher technical product areas and much higher growth areas and where the future of the next generation auto is going. So we really like that positioning. And then Rogers has phenomenal positioning in 5G base stations, wireless infrastructure, Consumer electronics. And one area we really like is their clean energy product line. So they do a lot of technology in in wind turbines, for instance. So we're picking up a lot of great technology here. And again, it meshes perfectly with the large presence we have in our electronics business here at uh, DuPont. And on top of that, remember, we just bought another company for two point three billion dollars on July 1st of this year. Uh, layered, which brings us more great electronics technology. So the portfolio is very broad and um, you know, the, really the biggest out there now. And, and the key is we can serve our customers and solve problems for them that most of our competitors can't with the breadth that we now have. But I want to make it clear that because of a step up, what's known as a step up in basis, if you make a sale of the other asset that is for sale currently, you said that on the call, uh, it's not like you won't have a lot of proceeds. I don't want then people to think that you levered up, Ed. You didn't. If anything, you did the opposite. Yeah, no, we, we've done just the opposite. So we're spending $5.2 billion to buy Rogers, and we'll you know close on that um, you know probably in the second quarter, 2022. But we announced today that we're selling a bulk of our um, uh, material and mobilities division, our M&M group. And that's about a uh, billion dollars of EBITDA. So we're going to get uh, quite a few billions of dollars for that. And the beauty of the reason the sale works and not some other strategic move is that our uh, basis in the company is, was raised up during the Dow DuPont merger. And we're going to pay um, tax under 10 percent on this deal. Uh, so it makes the sale very, very shareholder friendly for us. And will leave us after we do both transactions uh, with a fair amount of cash left that we go into the late fall of 2022 that we can redeploy to create additional shareholder value. Well, I think it's terrific. And remember, people, initial zero uh, value could be dividend. It could be more buyback. And this was a remarkable transaction. And, of course, I was very glad on the call when somebody asked you if you were done. You said no, which means you're staying. <laughs> and that's what we need. Ed Breen, executive chairman, CEO of DuPont. Really great to have you on the show. Thank you, Jim. All right. My charitable trust owns it. You know, we were worried. We have to admit, we're not worried anymore. Put out a couple of good notes. Really think this one is a winner still. Maybe going to all-time highs. Big money's back here to the break. Coming up, beauty is in the eye of the shareholder. Kramer sits down with a company that might touch up your portfolio. Next. There's a pattern we see every earnings season. There'll be a company report a kind of confusing set of numbers. Its stock opens down hard. But then we hear the conference call. And upon further review, we know it's a fantastic quarter and the stock comes roaring back. 
Today, we saw that same story in Kramer fave Estee Lauder, the makeup and personal care kingpin with the stock I like so much that we own it for the charitable trust. This morning, they reported a blowout quarter, just tremendous sales and earnings driven by growth in every region, every product category. But Estee Lauder is notoriously conservative when it comes to forecasting. This time is no different. Their guidance for the current quarter was weaker than some expected, and they even slightly cut their full year sales forecast. And that's why the stock opened down 3% this morning. We told investing club members to pounce. Sure enough, once the conference call got rolling, Management sounded much more upbeat than the impression you got from the forecast. So the stock made a rapid U-turn and finished the day up nearly 5%. I think it's got even more upside. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper. Fabrizio Freire, he's the visionary president and CEO of Estee Lauder and a professional who's been a tremendous teacher and mentor to me. Learn more about the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Freire, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Happy to be there. Okay, Fabrizio, you've taught me that you could have good makeup at some point, good skin care, maybe good fragrance. You had everything this quarter. How did that happen? Uh, That happened, first of all, our strategy is called the strategy of multiple engines of growth, which is about making different bets, activating different drivers of growth, so that depending how the market goes, a driver can always be strong, even when some other drivers are soft. So we deliver always the total company. In this case, as you and I talked, I think in the last time we were together on the show, we talked about the makeup renaissance. We had very clear in mind that when the user education of normal life after COVID, or at least during the COVID recovery, would have been coming back, makeup would come back. And that's what happened, particularly in the West, meaning in North America and Europe. It was an incredible renaissance of makeup because back to work, came back, back to school, back to university, and all these user cases brought the market back. And we were ready, ready to leverage the moment and ready to serve our consumers at best in this period. Okay, so, Bridget, there was a theory going around was that if the Chinese were against, say, conspicuous consumption, the party didn't seem to favor gambling anymore, the party didn't want these uh, huge moguls making lots of money. So some thought that Estee Lauder could be hurt because maybe there'd be a crackdown in makeup and skincare. It seems that the exact opposite happened. Despite COVID, an outbreak of COVID, this was the strongest grower in China. So obviously the party is okay with people having good skin and and putting makeup on. Yeah, first of all, the the, the Chinese consumers are very passionate of beauty. And uh, our, our customer is the Chinese middle class. And the Chinese middle class is growing and is very, you know, engaging in beauty more and more. And so I don't think there is, frankly, any issue that I can see for um, beauty continue to be uh, an area of priority for the growing Chinese middle class. Then I was surprised to see you talk about brick and mortar coming back strong. Now, that's something I didn't uh, expect to occur. What do you think's behind that? You know, brick and market came back again because the store reopened, people went out, and there was a moment, particularly during this quarter, where in North America, in Europe, people were so energized to be able to be back, to be able to have a more normalized life, thanks to the growing vaccinations, that brick and mortar really picked up. And, uh, and that was also good to see how, at the same time, the online sales continue to grow. So it was not one or the other, but was a continuation of growth of online and a big pick up, a brick and market at the same time, again, showing the possibility of activating multiple engines of growth. 
is that what we have done in the last quarter. Now, I was surprised that you are doing not only better than you did before the pandemic, but you're far more profitable. So what is the secret behind a much better gross margin than I know many were looking for? Yeah, first of all, we, we do continuously some very good cost savings and uh, we continue to optimize our business. And during COVID, given the big pressure we had, we did even more efforts for business optimization. Second is our mix. Our mix is strong. The new channels, the new innovation in products, uh, the new consumer segments we focus on, we tend to make sure that the future is accretive in profitability, meaning that what is new is more profitable and not less. So the growth become a way to continue grow profitability. That's what happened, is our mix. Our mix is improving every day. Well, I think that also you are, uh, because maybe it's because of reverse mentor, you're a great program. You are a huge user, not just of Instagram, but Snapchat, TikTok, WeChat. These channels are working. How do you know about these channels and how to use them? Yeah, I, I know about this channel because of my reverse mentor. So we have this amazing program where the young people of our organization mentors in a reverse way, the senior leaders, all of us, all the senior leaders. So, yes, definitely they keep us well informed about the new social media channels, the new platforms, but also, frankly, what the young consumer wants and all what the Gen Z, the millennial generation aspire to. So we, we are led by a lot of people with experience that, however, never touch, never touch, never lose their touch with the current reality of the market, including the young people. And this is also because of the reverse mentoring program. Very, very exciting. Well, it's a brilliant idea. I keep hoping others will do it. Now, I was also uh, thrilled to see that Ulta, which is such a beautiful display of, of Estee Lauder, uh, Sephora, Kohl's, these were just extraordinary in the United States. So these channels, not the Macy's channel, we know you have that, but these newer channels are really working out well for Estee Lauder. Yeah, no, these channels are working. Obviously, this quarter was only the beginning, really only the month of September. We saw the beginning of growth in these channels, in the new channel, meaning the Ulta target in the cold Sephora. Uh, but we believe there is a lot of potential, a lot of potential for the future and for the long term. And at the same time, the specialty multi-channel, including Ulta Sephora, is anyway, even the base channel is growing well and is developing well. So very, very good. And uh, again, online continue to grow. The retail.com continue to grow. And um, so there, there was a very special quarter in North America is uh, probably our best quarter in a long time. And this was not only due to our amazing retailing partners, but frankly also from the great execution we did. Imagine, Jim, that in a period where there is a lot of supply chain distractions, a lot of supply chain issues because of COVID in different parts of the world, we were ready with our holiday shipments. Many, most of our holiday shipments have already been shipped to the retailers that are already in the game uh, well before the full holiday season starts. Which is, which is rare in this moment of disruption. Well, look, I want to congratulate you uh, on just a remarkable quarter where everything worked, but you've done such a, been such a great steward of the brand. That's Fabrizio Freda, President and CEO of Estee Lauder EL. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Great to see you. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. I need you to go read the conference call. I need you to know what a master can deliver. This man is a master of execution and fabulous ideas. And don't forget what he said about reverse mentoring, listening to young people about what they want. May have money's back into the break. Coming up. 
Want to get real about real estate? Kramer's got a stock that could give your portfolio a new lease on life. Next. As we head into the holidays, you know it's the most wonderful time of the year for retail. So you might want to own a real estate investment trust that does retail. Something like Bricksmore Property Group, which owns and operates nearly 400 open-air shopping centers with some big-name anchor tenants like TJX or Ross Stores, Kroger, Publix. At a time when Americans across the country have been fleeing the cities for the suburbs, this might be exactly the kind of retail space that's working. No wonder Bricksmore stock has rallied from 7 bucks and change last spring to $24 and change today. In fact, the stock just jumped to a multi-year year high after the company delivered an excellent beat and raise quarter last night. Even after this incredible run, though, Bricksmore still pays you an almost 4% yield, thanks to the dividend hike they announced yesterday. So can it keep running? Let's check in with Jim Taylor, the president and CEO of Bricksmore Property Group, get a better read in the quarter and what it means for the industry. Mr. Taylor, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thank you for having me. Okay, so it's been a little bit since you've been on. So I was thinking maybe you could just refresh us. It's been two years, actually, about what your strategy is, and particularly because you've got a great anchor strategy that I think makes it so that you've got good growth and a lot of conservative uh, people in your stock correctly. Well, thank you, Jim. As you know, we own a portfolio of about 400 shopping centers across the U.S. We're one of the largest landlords to TJX, uh, Burlington, uh, Kroger, many other sort of bellwether uh, retailers. And about 60% of our space is devoted to anchors. About 40% is devoted uh, to small shops. Our strategy is a bit differentiated within the sector, though, in that we really are focused on a value-added approach to investing in these shopping centers, capitalizing on a low-rent basis to put capital work to accretively bringing in better tenants at better rents to really drive out performance. I wish I need you to go into that more because I know that the one near me has had this happen where you basically have these leases and then it looks like that the place goes dark a little bit. And what people have to recognize is not that Bricksmore's in trouble. It's the exact opposite. You are now be able to get a better tenant in maybe a national or even an international food chain and everybody benefits. It's really great, Jim, and, and thank you. For example, near where you grew up at Ivy Ridge, we replaced an old tired A&P with a nice new urban format Target. And not only did we get a great return on the capital that we invested to bring Target into that shopping center, but as you can imagine, we saw a follow-on benefit in terms of lease-up of the small shops, as well as an appreciation in the average market rent for that shopping center. We've invested over the last five years about $600 million at an incremental return above 10%, impacting over 150 shopping centers across the country, really driving not only great ROI, but great follow-on growth, which was something that we talked a lot about this quarter. And I think the market uh, is really beginning to appreciate how this value-added strategy outperforms not only in normal times, but through disruption as we capitalize on that low rent basis, bring in better tenants at better rents and drive very attractive risk adjusted returns. At the same time, I think that you are immunized from what a lot of people thought would be a problem, which is e-commerce. Never know when that's going to come back. But your your places are set up to be able to deal with any e-commerce threat. Well, you know, the pandemic really showed the durability and resilience of our portfolio. Um, These tenants are necessary to the communities they serve. And importantly, they're very proximate to where people work and live. 
So it provides a compelling low occupancy cost alternative for retailers who recognize, particularly through the pandemic, the importance of a store to their multi-channel strategy of serving the customer. And, you know, we're seeing that demand in our leasing pipeline today, Jim, in terms of not only what we have signed but yet to commence, but also our forward leasing pipeline as well. Again, with the very best retailers who now fully really appreciate the importance of the store to their strategy of serving the customer. Well, let's go back to the situation like in Ivy Ridge, where exactly you're right, where I grew up. What happens is, is that if you have an A&P, you have, happen to have a lot of second and third rate stores near it. So there's nothing like if you go there, you're going to shop at the next place, next place. When I see your places now, it's a Target, it's a Marshalls, it's an Ulta, then it's a Whole Foods, then it's Chipotle, then it's Starbucks. I want to go to all these places. I'll go get a cup of coffee at Starbucks while I'm going to another place. I stop at Chipotle, get the brisket. I mean, you have the right companies in there that people don't just go to one store. It's absolutely the case. And really, when we are doing our job well, that center truly becomes the center of that community. It's no longer really a Bricksmore property. It's your shopping center. And as you mentioned, it's where you go to work out. It's where you go to grab a cup of coffee, shop for that meal. Um, you know, there are just many uses that these centers can serve for the communities and the retailers that tenant them. Well, you know, one of the things I like when I look at yours, I get my ideas. I mean, I get my stock ideas. Like I saw that you went with Five Below, so therefore I think Five Below is a real outfit. I want to be, I want to look at Five Below. It's a Philly outfit, so I was obviously interested. But once I see you guys go in with Aldi, I mean, not my necessarily my favorite, but my wife says, listen, it's much better than the previous place. And obviously, uh, Home Sense makes a great deal of sense. Burlington is another one that I got from going to one, to one of your shopping centers. So it's pretty clear you've got the best of the best that America has right now in retail. We're very fortunate. We have great partnerships with these leading retailers. And again, we out-index in terms of our market share of their new store openings in our centers that are well-located and give them the proximity to the customer that they desire. It's a very exciting uh, time for us, Jim, as we continue to improve our portfolio and capitalize on great follow-on demand from these best-in-class retailers, as you mentioned not only the national and regional players, but also some of the great local concepts, including Philadelphia's own Chickie and Pete's, which has done very well, or Iron Hill Brewery. You know, there's an opportunity for us to bring in the right mix that truly connects with and serves that community and drive a very attractive return while doing so. It's all part of that value-added strategy I referenced. And a little bit of part of what makes Bricks more different in the sense that we have uh, older, well-located centers with attractive rent basis that allows us to bring in these great new tenants accretively. We can make right. money doing so and then benefit from the follow-on traffic and leasing and momentum that these two, these types of tenants create for our centers. Right. I want people to understand it's hard to get a good solid 4% without concern. I'm not concerned at all about Bricksmore. I also have my chicken and pizza on Sunday when I go to the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> I want to thank you so much, James Taylor, President and CEO of Bricksport. This is a keeper. I love Yield. You should too. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. May have money's back here for the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next.
It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski back to the lightning round because we're start with Stephen in New Jersey. Stephen! Yes, how are you doing, Jim? I'm calling from Livingston, New Jersey. Not familiar with Livingston, yeah. but that's all right. Jimmy Chilson is well, fine. What's going on? Okay, so when Biden made, President Biden made a speech, he would like to build 500,000 charging stations. So my question to you, is it a good time to invest into Blink charging company, Symbol, B-L-N-K? Well, they're all uh, pretty good if something does happen in Washington, not so good if it doesn't, which is why I think they're too risky for me to recommend. I've learned my lesson. Let's go to Elaine in Illinois. Elaine! Oh, I'm so thrilled to be talking to you, Jim. Oh, thank you, Elaine. I've watched you since your Cudlow days, and you've helped me make enough money that I can leave it to my children and my grandchildren in charity. Thank you. Hey, you should join the investment club. You'll have a great time. I'm I'm 90 years old. Wow. And I know you're 30 years younger than I am, but you are my BFF. Wow. My wife will be, as usual, jealous about anyone who is even nice to me whatsoever. And I'll take it. I like Elaine. Okay. The stock that I'm interested in is Mimecast. Um, It filters out spam, so they say. And it's M. The symbol is M as in mother, I, M as in mother, E. Elena, I know it. It's one of the hottest stocks. So you know what? Go for it, for heaven's sake. Go for it. Go for Mimecast. Red Hot Stock. Absolutely, you know it. It's in the right spot. And thank you so much for the kind comments because, whoa, boy, this job's been hard lately. And thank you. I do hope you'll uh, join the club where I'm having a really good time with a lot of good people. Now I want to go to Jay in Hawaii. Jay. Hey, Jim. Aloha from upcountry Maui. Mahalo, hey, my your, friend. <laughs> Mahalo, brother. Hey, just wanted to get your take on Heartland Express, HTLB. I don't know what to think about Jim. these stocks. I mean, there's Heartland. The stock is at a low, basically. XBO just reported a number. People didn't like it. I think we've got to be careful. I'm going to suggest that you go with UPS. Where, by the way, Council May reported a terrific number. Everybody doubted it or not us. We still believe. Let's go to uh, Bob in Illinois. Bob. Hi, Jim. Thank you for your help. Uh, I'm questioning AWR. That's American States Water. Uh, it's just a very solid grower. It always looks like it has a low dividend. Why? Because the stock's always doing so well. I like the company. People have been buying it for years, and they've done quite well, and they can sleep at night. Let's not be done. Let's go to Michael in California. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, so I'm calling in about the stock back technologies. I mean, holdings, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is uh, a meme picture. stock. This is a meme stock. I'd rather actually, you know, my new posture on the meme stocks is a no comment. That way nobody gets hurt, and it's just too, life's too short to comment on a meme stock. Let's go to Vincent in my home state of New Jersey. Vincent. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for all your help. Booyah. I hope you, I hope you voted. I hope you voted today. Yes, I did vote. I did vote. I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. No, I don't want to know. It's okay. It's all right. It's a private thing. I just want to be sure you showed up. Let's go. No, no, I did vote. I vote vote every time I need to vote. Every time. That's the preservation of our republic. Thank you. What's up? Uh, uh, The stock is Zenvia, Z-E-N-V. It went public this past summer, and it has a price target of $3 from Goldman Sachs. Yeah, why why don't people like this? Why don't people like this stock? I mean, I think we should feature this. Let's get... Let's get Casio Bobson on. I mean, I don't know, Software Solutions, a, a really interesting 
Sometimes I don't understand why stocks are hated. I really don't. That stock is really hated. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is the pandemic making your children dumb? Kramer takes aim at an alarming trend and what you can do about it next. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Is the pandemic making us dumber? I don't know, but it's certainly making us less educated. That's my biggest takeaway from the incredibly disappointing quarterly report of this, maybe the worst of the whole earnings season. I'm talking about the numbers from Chegg, which is a brilliant online helper for all things education, both here and abroad. If you don't know Chegg, go ask your kids who are in college or maybe who've graduated recently. This thing has become an institution. It's a company that got its start in textbook rentals. Textbooks are the ultimate racket, and the cost of buying them is extortionate. But under the leadership of Dan Rosenzweig, Chegg has transformed itself into a digital platform that helps students study and do their homework. Think of it as required reading if you want good grades. But what if you don't want good grades? What if you don't care? What if you don't want to pay for college in the first place? Clearly, a lot of people are asking themselves those questions. That's the only conclusion you can draw from Chegg's dispiriting conference call last night, as well as, by the way, the interview that they had at, at, uh, when, uh, when Sarah and Will for interviewing. Ooh, I didn't like that at all. According to Rosenzweig, higher education is experiencing a major slowdown. And while he believes the problem is temporary, it's caused demand for Chegg's services to plummet. Hence why the stock lost another 49% of its value today after getting hammered for the last few months. What specifically is causing this weakness? Well, part of it has to do with rising wages. But thanks to the labor shortage, you can make more money if you immediately enter the workforce. Plus, Chegg kept talking about fatigue. It's kind of an amorphous term they used to explain why college enrollments were much weaker than expected. Obviously, a lot of this is COVID-related. College is less enticing if you can't do anything on campus. Who wants to pay tens of thousands of dollars to sit at home and take classes over the Internet? Not me. But that's not the only thing hurting Chegg. They're also getting killed by the makeup of the curriculum. This is a company that helps people get good grades in difficult courses. Unfortunately, according to Rosenzweig, students are taking, and I quote, fewer and less rigorous courses, end quote, with fewer graded assignments. I mean, at the same time, professors are assigning less work, and there's been a big spike in pass-fail classes. Sounds heavily to me, uh, unless you want a great education. Now, some of it's pretty about money. If you can make a better income from an entry-level job, more people will choose to work rather than go to school. Chegg also talks about the, quote, post-COVID hangover of mental exhaustion, end quote, to which I'd add that when this semester started, we weren't post-COVID at all. We were right in the middle of the Delta variant when people were signing up for classes. Now, I know Rosenzweig says it's temporary, and I'm sure some of it's temporary, but there needs to be a return on investment when it comes to going to college, and that also includes student life. There's something to be said for learning how to socialize, learning how to make contacts, learning how to live on your own. Tough to offer that experience in the middle of a pandemic. Plus, I think lots of students who signed up for a full load of classes last year feel like they made a bad decision, so they didn't want to get burned again. On the other side of the equation, consider the cost. Full-year tuition plus room and board can come to 80 grand and change at many private institutions. You know what's going to 100000 You really want to shell out that kind of money for maybe a suboptimal experience? 
I worry that we're pricing people out of college experience entirely. In many cases, we're not even offering them a rigorous education. I benefited from really terrific professors who taught real hard classes. The idea of pass-fail, or guts as we call them at Harvard, was about slacking off. I think it's a bad deal. If you don't want to be challenged, I don't see the point. But then again, people tell me I'm a throwback. Now, I hope all these people who skip college this semester will come back once we finally get past the pandemic. However, I fear we could be setting into a, setting into a groove, a bad groove, where Americans start questioning the entire worth of higher education, which is not unreasonable when you consider the cost of higher education. They price themselves out. I think it's a tragedy. You want a lost generation? If these post-COVID college trends continue, you better believe we're going to get one. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.